Welcome to Sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Good morning again and welcome to you. Thank you for joining us as we worship God online. This morning we're continuing in our series on Luke and Acts, so please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, verses one to eight, uh, which has already been read for us by Millie. Thank you, Millie. So Luke 18, verses one to eight. And as we begin, will you pray with me? Lord, we pray that everything that we do say and think in this time would glorify you. We pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us and to respond in obedience. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When was the last time you were having a conversation and the other person said, you know, I think I can explain what I mean by telling you a parable? That's never happened to me. We just don't use parables that often, but Jesus frequently did. A parable basically is just a story that teaches something. And you may say, well, wait a minute, we do that all the time. We use stories and analogies to to describe something. So what's the difference? Well, in our stories and examples, we want as many parallels and many points of agreement as we can possibly get between the story and real life. So, you know, often we're saying, imitate this wise person. They were in this specific situation, they did A, B, and C, so you do exactly that, do A, B, and C. But this is not the case with the parables of Jesus. And we will misunderstand them if we don't realize that Jesus' parables have only a few connections between the story and real life. And Jesus is only Uh, putting across one main point, maybe two. And if we look for something more than that, then we can get into trouble. So it's easy for us to look at our passage and think, well, you know, the widow kept pestering the judge. So uh, that's what we should do. Things worked out for her when she did that, so we need to pester God. We need to keep asking over and over again for the same thing until we wear God out and he gives us what we need or want. This is not at all what Jesus is teaching us here. In fact, if, if he were, that would contradict what he said in, in other places. In Matthew chapter six, uh, Jesus says, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Jesus is not teaching us to pester God. So let's look at the parable and see what he is teaching us. So we have two people in the parable, the judge and the widow. And the judge was a powerful man in town. He likely had money, likely had powerful friends. The widow would have had none of that. So a widow in ancient Israel was the lowest status of anyone. She was the most vulnerable. She had the fewest resources. And Joel Green points out that in those days, it was men who would go to court. So if the widow had any male relative at all in her extended family, he would have been in court representing her. The fact that she is the one pleading her case before the judge means that she has no one 
on her side. No family, no powerful friends, and no money to influence the judge. And money probably would have helped with this judge because he's corrupt. Now, Joel Green notes that in the Roman world, if someone was described as not fearing God or respecting people, it meant they were thoroughly wicked. That was a common phrase back then. Plus, the Old Testament repeatedly talks about caring for widows and dealing fairly with them. The fact that the judge is denying justice to a widow highlights even more how unjust he is. And notice that the widow isn't asking to be treated uh, better than she should be. She simply wants justice. She wants what's fair. But the judge is, doesn't care. He's looking out for himself. He's not looking out for justice. He's not looking out for others. You know, given the way that we use stories and analogies, we naturally think that the judge represents God. He doesn't. This judge has nothing in common with God. They are complete opposites, and in fact, that is the point that Jesus is making. The only thing that the judge and God have in common is that they decide whether justice is granted or not. That's it. And the reason that the widow had to pester the judge to get justice was because the judge was unjust and uncaring. God is completely different than this judge. God is different from every other human. You know, that may seem obvious, but I think sometimes we forget that and we think that God acts towards us like our fellow sinful humans do. But God doesn't fit our categories of human behavior. He doesn't even fit what we imagine a God or gods are like. He's nothing like the gods of the ancient world. They didn't care at all for people. You know, people had to offer sacrifices to gods to keep them happy so, so nothing bad would happen to them, or, or maybe to try to get the god to do something good for them. These gods were selfish, they were proud, they were looking out for themselves. They were basically like humans, just a little bit more powerful. And to try to get the gods' attention, people would go on and on in their prayers. That's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 6 when he said, don't babble on trying to be heard. We don't have to do that because God is entirely different from the judge. He's entirely different from any man-made God. I mean, aside from God actually existing, which the man-made gods don't, our creator, the one true God, is not selfish or proud. He is just. He cares for us. And he listens to us. Jesus says in Luke 11, ask and you will receive. If earthly fathers can give good gifts to their children, how much more will our loving Father in heaven give, not not just good gifts, even give of himself? Luke records Jesus as saying, he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. That's, That's himself. No pagan God would give of himself to humans. He would never suffer for humans, let alone die for them. But that's what God did for us. This is what he did when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live with us and then suffer and die for our sins in our place so that those who put their faith and trust in Jesus could be forgiven of their sins so that they could then be united with Jesus, united with God. 
God is not like the judge. He cares for us. He cares about justice. He cares more about justice than any of us do. So if this widow got justice from that judge, we know, we can be assured that God will provide justice. You know, there's a reason that Jesus is telling his disciples this right at this very moment. So this is the beginning of chapter 18. That's where we are. But this is not a different chapter than chapter 17. The writers of the Bible didn't put in chapters. We added them later just to help us find things, and that's a good thing. It helps us. But the problem is we're used to writers nowadays using chapters only when there's a break. And so we see a chapter, we think there's a break, but there is no break from chapter 17. It's the same scene, and we need to know that. And we need to know that in chapter 17, Jesus was talking about coming again and establishing his kingdom fully. This involves judgment and separating those who have faith from those who don't have faith, those who are looking for Jesus to come back and those who are not. Jesus is going to bring justice to an unjust world. But before that happens, Christians will be persecuted unjustly for our faith. Jesus said in John 15, 20, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And in chapter 17, Jesus said, we will want desperately for him to come back and bring justice, but there will be a delay. The kingdom won't come fully as quickly as we would like. And there will be pressure to turn away from the faith, to try to save our lives in this world. But Jesus says in chapter 17, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. In the face of persecution, we are to be like the widow, not pestering, but persevering, remaining true to the faith. When we are tempted to turn away, to stop praying, and to save our lives in this world, Jesus says, don't lose heart. Faith in me is going to be rewarded. My justice is inevitable. And so our response to God's justice is to continue faithfully in prayer. If you're experiencing unjust treatment because of your faith in Christ, God knows what you're going through. You know, the Apostle Paul experienced intense persecution, probably far worse than, than most of us will experience because he preached about Jesus Christ. People turned their backs on him. He was in harsh prisons, far worse than we have now. He was beaten. He was whipped multiple times. And none of that deterred him from his faith. In fact, he wrote in 2 Timothy, he wrote, yes, I am suffering but you know what? I know who I have believed in. And I know, I am convinced that what I have entrusted to him, to God, he will keep, he will guard until that day. And that day that Paul is talking about is when Jesus comes back and makes everything right, when there is justice. Paul knows that what he has entrusted to God is, is safe because God is good and his faith in God will be rewarded. In fact, Paul even said in Romans 8, he goes even further. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory 
that will be revealed in us, given what Paul suffered, that's astounding. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. God knows everything that you're going through, whether it's because of your faith or because you're simply trying to live faithfully in a broken and fallen world that so often is painful. He knows. He knows what you're going through. And you know, what God went through for us is far worse than anything we will ever experience. And because of that, we can trust God when he says, it's always better to cling to me. If you have me, you have everything. Keep the faith. Never stop praying. Now, you may have noticed that there's a connection in our passage between prayer and faith. So in verse 1, it says the parable is, was given to show the need to keep praying. And in verse 8, Jesus asks, will he find faith on earth when he returns. It's, it's like the two words, prayer and faith, are almost used interchangeably. You know, faith is often described in the Bible as walking with God. When you walk with someone, you talk with them. You know, prayer seems like a formal word, but it's just a conversation. It's a conversation between us and God. There's a famous verse about faith, it's Hebrews chapter 11, verse six. It says, and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He rewards those who seek him. Prayer is seeking God. This is what God wants us to do, to seek him, to come to him, the first half of the verse implies that, that our coming to him is what pleases God. We come to him in prayer, trusting that he is not like the unjust judge, but he's just and he's good and he loves us. We come in prayer to the one who sacrificed himself for us, who died for us, who wants us to come to him, and he rewards us when we do. Many of us know faith is necessary, but so is prayer. It's all wrapped up together. That's why it says in the first verse, we should always pray and never give up. That's what it says in the NIV, but you know, the Greek word is actually stronger than the word should. You know, to me, the word should sounds like a strong suggestion. You know, like when a nutritionist says, you should eat vegetables, or you should not have too much sugar. You know, it's, it's better for you if you do this, but it's up to you. Here, this, this is not a suggestion. The Greek actually means it is necessary. That means we can't get along without it. It's central to faith. It's how we seek God. We seek God by prayer. But the question is, how do we pray? And this parable gives three important aspects of prayer. The first one we've already spoken about. We come to God knowing that he's good, that he's just, 
that he loves us more than we can understand, and everything that we're looking for is found in him. Everything we need is found in him. Second, Daryl Bach points out that even though we, uh, sorry, even though the judge is not like God, we are like the widow. We are without resources and completely dependent on God. But are we willing to see ourselves that way? You know, we like to see ourselves as strong and capable. Will we admit that we are utterly dependent on God? Will we admit that he knows better than we do? Jesus did, and he was fully God. If there was anyone where it would make sense for them to think that they could get by on their own, it would be the one person who was not just fully human, but fully God. Jesus didn't do that, though. He submitted to God, the Father, in obedience. We need to respond to God in prayer like Jesus did, in complete submission. And this is how Jesus taught us to pray. The Lord's Prayer starts, Our Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we say to God, your will be done, that means God's will and not ours. We are admitting that we don't know what's best, but God does. You know, the reason that this world is so unjust, the reason this world is so messed up is because we chose our will instead of God's. But when God's will is done, there is justice. Everything is right. If everyone, everywhere, always does what God wants, if we are all in line with God's will, everything will be right. So when we pray for justice, which God, which Jesus here is asking us to do, when we, are, when we pray for justice, we are asking that God's will be done everywhere, always. And that means that the justice we are praying for is not simply that the wrongs committed against us stop, but that the wrongs committed against everyone stop. And the wrongs that I commit stop, that we commit. Justice means that God's will is done not just out there, but here, in me. And we are to pray for justice for everyone. And by the way, the Bible makes it clear in many places that uh, we pray about justice, but we also do something about it if we have the opportunity, if we can. And so we pray, your will be done, Lord, not mine. This is what Jesus prayed the night before he was crucified. As God, it was the most extreme injustice this world has ever seen that Jesus was crucified. Nothing else compares to that injustice. Yet even then, Jesus chose the Father's will. He remained faithful. 1 Peter 2.23 says, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He knew the Father would make it right in the end. And our attitude in prayer must be one of submission to God, of dependence on him, as we entrust ourselves, our lives, 
to the one who loves us and gave himself for us. And the third aspect of prayer in this parable is that it is continual. Jesus says in verse 7, the elect cry out to God for justice day and night. In verse 1, it says we must always pray. This is a different translation than the NIV. It says we must always pray and never give up. And that's the same as 1 Thessalonians 5.17. It says pray without ceasing. So how do we do that? What does it mean to pray always? Again, Jesus is our example. You know, all the Gospels record Jesus praying, but Luke specifically records Jesus praying before all the major events in his life. At Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus when he was praying. In Luke 6, before Jesus chose his disciples, he prayed all night. In chapter 9 on the mountain, in front of Peter, James, and John, when they caught a glimpse of Jesus' future glory, it was while Jesus was praying that the appearance of his face became different and his clothing became white and gleaming. And of course, the night before Jesus went to the cross, he prayed most of the night. But it wasn't just around major events or decisions. Luke says in chapter 5 that Jesus regularly prayed, that he often slipped away from the crowd to lonely places to play, to pray. Jesus' life was characterized by his intimate connection to the Father. As a human being, Jesus was sustained by his connection with God. And, you know, we might think, well, yeah, of course, he's, you know, he's God. That, of, course, of course, that would be natural for him to do this. But he didn't do this because he was the Son of God. This deep connection to and dependence on God is what we were all made for. It's what we would all have if none of us had ever sinned. So, you know, we think human, being human means, you know, messing up or sinning. You know, if we make a mistake, we say, well, I'm only human. You know, as if our humanity is defined by, by sinning and messing up. It's not. Our sin does not define our humanity. It mars and disfigures our humanity. Not only was Jesus fully human, as well as being fully God, he's the only one who ever showed what humanity was created to be. We were made for deep connection with God, to talk with him, to walk with him through our lives. This is living a life of faith. That's what praying always means. You know, it's not consciously praying every single moment of the day, Yes, we, we set aside some time to do that, but we can't do that all the time or we just couldn't get anything done that required concentration. But we can come to God regularly and we can always be aware of his presence, that he is always with us. So just picture two old friends. They're, they're getting together for a reunion. They've spent the day at a cabin in the woods. They've been on the lake. They've been engaging with each other. They've been talking. They've been reminiscing. It's been great. They're relaxing now in the evening. They're on the porch. They're both reading separate books. And so they're focused on the books. They're not directly engaged with each other. But they're aware of each other's presence. And occasionally, one will, something will come to mind, and one will turn to the other and say something 
to them. That's how we can be with God. He's always with us, and we can speak to him throughout the day about anything, about everything. So yes, we pray about large things like like justice, but we also pray about even the most basic things in our lives. Jesus encourages us to pray for our daily bread. Psalm 55 says, cast your cares on the Lord. All your cares. As followers of Jesus, we don't live our lives on our own. And then when we can't get by or when we need something, then we go to God. Prayer is a way of life. It's a way of faith. It's looking to God for everything that we need instead of looking to things of this world. How amazing is it that the eternal God who created you, who created me, loves us and wants to spend time with us? You know, if, if one of our you know, favorite sports heroes or authors or you know, anyone we admire that, that we don't know and, and is famous, if they came looking for us and wanted to spend time with us, we would be blown away. The creator of the universe wants us to be with him. He wants us to pour out our hearts to him, to walk with him through life, to cry out for justice and for everything that we need, to have him sustain us. You know, not only that, but he suffered and died to make that possible, to take away our sin so we could be with him who is completely holy. This is astounding, but this is what we were created for. God is so much better, so much more amazing than any of us could ever dream of. He is just. He's good. He gave himself for us. And we can be assured that when Jesus comes with full authority and full power, that there will be justice. Jesus is going to set things right. But the question is, will we be looking for Jesus when he returns? Will we be living by faith? Will we be calling out to him day and night, praying that his will be done in the world and in us? I pray that we will. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.